Welcome to the Bomb Shelter, your weekly journey through the miraculous world of film. And welcome to episode six of the podcast, also known as the Bomb Shelter. My name is Max. Yes. I'm here, as always, with my delightful co-host, Pat. Pat, how are you? Oh, man, I'm doing so great. I'm so happy to know that our podcast is called The Podcast, in the same sense that Prince once went by the artist formerly known as Prince. Well, I mean... As you said, it's called The Podcast, also known as The Bomb Shelter. And I was like, oh, our podcast is like Prince, kind of. I, I guess I guess what I meant to say is our podcast, a.k.a. The Bomb Shelter, if you want to get into semantics and that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, I don't want to talk about oh, Prince. I always want to get into semantics, bud. Oh, man. I always want to talk about semantics. Oh, I, I guess it's kind of my fault for not noticing before now, is it? Yep. Uh, so I guess we got to do some housekeeping, huh? Uh, we got to say, first of all, thank you to our audience who have been with us for six episodes. Goddamn. Well, you've been with us for five. You're about to go on a wondrous journey for a sixth episode. Uh, uh, we want to thank everyone for listening in. Uh, if you have not subscribed, subscribe to wherever it is you're listening to this on. And then as soon as you're done subscribing on that medium, you can go to every other medium that we're on and subscribe there as well. Um, also turn on your notifications. So whenever our new episode or our latest episode pops up, you're ready to watch it. You're ready to go. Uh, but yeah, man, just thank you for being with us. Cause today, man, today's a day I've been waiting for, for quite a while and I can't wait to get into it. But first, uh, Max, do we have any segments we need to get through before? Well, before we get into the segments, the first time we brought up today's feature presentation, was it yes. episode one? I think it is, right? Probably episode one, yeah. And in the first episode, it was probably we brought episode up... one because it's been on the poll since the first episode. And oh. every time we think we're about to do it, another movie beats it. And we're like, oh, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. What were you saying, bud? Yeah, that's that's fine. Okay, so we've, we've been talking about about this one for over a month and a half if you stuck with us for a month and a half then i mean <laughs> you're, you're you have great resilience you're a real trooper absolutely all right before we get into this week's feature presentation which is diana the musical a, a netflix original yes. musical recording pat what did you watch this week Oh, uh, this week I watched, uh, besides the wondrous experience that was this week's feature presentation, I watched uh, the, oh, I watched Peter Pan and Wendy. I watched the Disney live-action remake of Peter Pan and Wendy, uh, directed by David Lowry, uh, and I found it to be, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I was not overwhelmed or underwhelmed. I would just very much respect it that it was, 100% not like a shot-for-shot, shot, super faithful remake of the animated classic. It was very much like an update, and it took its thematic and story swings, and it's also very much a David Lowry movie, so I respected it on that front. I think the review that I said is like, I respect whenever a remake is like, we, we're not trying to do the original, we're not riffing on the original, we're doing our own thing. Even if the result is an okay or bad movie, uh, which I thought this one was more to the okay side of the spectrum. Uh, I also watched the uh, Nicolas Cage classic Moonstruck, 
which uh, that's on my uh, Mount Rushmore of Nick Cage performances. Damn. Okay, and just you just popped on Moonstruck just because you know you remembered it and thought, yeah, yeah man. I ought to watch this right now. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I look. I watch real random movies from time to time, and uh, they're always fun to watch. And I mean, I I hadn't seen a good old fashioned rom com in a while, and Moonstruck is one of my favorites. It's a very straightforward rom com. I love everyone that's in it. So, yeah, man, I I just really enjoy it. I rewatch it. And I was like, yep, still great. Nick Cage. Uh, I mean, I'm a Nick Cage aficionado. So, yeah, man, it was right up my alley. Uh, I, lo- I love him just yelling at Cher in the beginning, just like, I lost my hand. Yeah, it's pretty great. You know, the internet has come around on Nick Cage overall. Because I remember there was a time where it was very cool to hate on Nick Cage films online. Yeah. Especially when it became public knowledge that I mean, he potentially did some bad financial decisions and those oh, led Potentially? Him. You mean... I mean, he bought a dinosaur egg. <laughs> That's not a fu- sound financial decision. You know, for, I was thinking about the island. I was thinking about the island that he oh, yeah, the island. bought. I mean, everyone buys islands. Like, Johnny Depp has an island. You know, like, well, that guy's weird, too. And that but, is, uh, in fact, everyone. You know, you go Nick Cage and then Johnny Depp, and then that's yeah. everyone. There's no one else. That's There's no one else. Uh, Jeff Bezos, maybe. I don't, maybe Jeff Bezos owns... I think he owns a country at this point. I think at this point, if I had his amount of money, I'd be like, I'm just going to buy, I don't know, Cambodia. I have no idea. I don't want to get that political about it, because if we get started <laughs> no, on that, not... we will never stop. So just cut, <laughs> just cut the riffing on billionaires, the head or sure. whatever the expression is. Did you watch anything else? Uh, apart from those two things, uh, I think I watched a couple stray episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh some people watch The Office. I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I really like that show. Um, and I, I have it on repeat constantly. Watch the highlights on YouTube all the time, even though they're the same five highlights all the time. It's just like Holt saying Yas Queen in every single video. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm here for it. I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. One could argue that they're basically the same show. But then again, most network sitcoms are. So you yeah, just got to pick the one that's I, I for you. So. You gotta pick the one that's Brooklyn for you. Nine there, Nine. there are a couple ones that aren't for me, and at its moment, Brooklyn Nine Nine very much was for me. So, you know, I'm not reprimanding you yeah. for liking it. That's if that's how it came across. Oh no, I I never I never I never accused you of 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 that. I mean, you're a very respectful, uh, sir. You're a very respectful <laughs> friend of mine. Uh, no, I I just I really I like Brooklyn Nine Nine more than I like The Office because it has its moments of sober reality and and it's weird i mean it they're of course like uh, tempered with comedy but like really thoughtful like character interactions and very nuanced takes on on modern american society particularly as it relates to cops especially in the later seasons where they're like oh we have to relate the fact that we're a, a, a sitcom about cops with like the real situation outside when it comes to police officers. So I'm like, oh, I, I respect any show that's like a goofy comedy that does that. Very well. And, you know, most goofy comedies probably can pull series off that well. No. It's, it's a valiant effort when they give it a good old shot. 
Yeah, of course. What well, did you watch this week, Max? Well, I started my week off on Monday with a a triple feature, if you will. In the my early God. well, in before noon, I watched Chunking Express and Fallen Angels back to back because Wong Kar Wai looks at those as one three hour movie and I had previously only seen them separately. So I watched them all together. They made slightly slightly more sense. Also, a lot of music video directors turns out are Wong Kar Wai's children because they very much like the visual style that him and Christopher Doyle established in those films. But that's old news. Like that's been referenced almost to death oh, at this old, point. Old news. Old news. I mean, who who cares about them old news? You know what I mean? So old, like, oh my god. They're so old they're buried in the Saint George Chapel in Westminster Alley. Like that's that's how old they are. They're, they're buried with the queen. Regardless. <laughs> well, wait, no, Windsor Castle. I'm a, I'm a dumbass. I'm a dumbass. She's buried at Windsor Castle. I apologize. And I accept your apology. So then Monday night, I saw <laughs> the German comedy film Soul Kitchen, which is a film okay. that I had missed during my time in Germany, mainly because I was a child. And that kind of film I wasn't allowed to go yes. into. I only ever started going to adult films as a teenager, like 14, 15 years old. Adult films? My God, Max. As in... What's as, going as on in Germany, man? As in films What's going with on adult in themes. Germany? Films with adult themes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd say adult films have some pretty adult themes, man. <laughs> I don't, I don't do, think do, you're digging yourself out of this hole. Do adult yet. films have themes at all, is my question? <laughs> some of them, yeah. Sure, some of them. Yeah. What yeah. what were the ones the theme called is, that Dirk uh, Diggler starred in with when <laughs> Dirk Dirk Diggler. Oh, it's uh, Boogie Nights, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Of course, that movie's called Boogie Nights, but he starts a franchise of him and John C. Oh, Arcops. like the in movie. Yeah. I don't remember the name, but yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Or Burt Reynolds' character wants every new thing that he makes to be his legacy-making masterpiece, and it doesn't quite get <laughs> yeah. there. But, you know, at, yeah, at, yeah. at the end, spoiler alert, the the nuclear family that he's created, this community inside the adult industry, that is his everlasting yes. remembered legacy. Yep. So, okay. I went through Chunking Express, Fallen Angels, Soul Kitchen. Wednesday, yeah. I saw Fast X with two buddies of mine, oh. and we snuck in some Mezcal to the screening. And nice. Let me tell you something. Mezcal made, made, me, made me enjoy that movie at all. No, I mean, the listen, the bottles of Mezcal that we snuck in were like at most were 10 centimeters tall. So they fit in the back of oh, your okay. jean pocket quite easily. Coronas, oh, yeah, no much, much, much harder to conceal on a person. Even though it appears as though the stu uh, the people at the movie theater don't care as much anymore. I remember as <laughs> yeah, a teenager really going to extreme lengths to sneak in. I think it was a small fries from KFC into, into a movie theater. 
Oh my. Yeah, and that being quite hard. Regardless, Fast X, uh, I was quite tipsy whilst watching it, so I had a fantastic time. <laughs> let's just let's just, let's just keep it at that. I started uh, cheering and clapping, and then people sort of caught on to what I was doing, and they got into it and joined me in my cheering and clapping. Awesome. And Hell yeah. and laughing as well, which might have been appropriate at sometimes, not so appropriate at other times, but. I'm going to wait for that movie to be out for a little longer, done, not spoiling a new release like Pat liked to do when Guardians came out. So, oh, how about you shut up? There was Fast X. <laughs> then on Friday, I felt violently ill, partly because I had, well, I guess, made a mistake whilst preparing a meal and given myself a diarrhea, and also because I've been yes. breathing in a lot of volcanic ashes because where we live, there's oh, a lot yeah. of volcanic ash com coming down from the sky. So I felt very ill. And to sort of pass time laying in bed with chamomile tea and a couple of pills that will help me feel better, I watched season three and four of the German version of Last One Laughing, which is the Amazon original series. Oh, where they put, yeah. What, is it eight comedians? No, ten comedians in a room together for yeah, six yeah. hours. And the last one to not laugh wins. And that okay. that was qu quite yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I I rediscovered some some old German comics that I hadn't well I hadn't seen a lot of their work lately because I'm just not that in touch with the German scene anymore. I have to be honest. But uh, Anke Engelke, it's always a pleasure pleasure to see her. Kurt Krömer, uh, just. You know, uh, who else comes to mind? Oh, Christoph Maria Herbst. He, he's, yep. he's basically German Steve Carell, not only because he played the equivalent to Michael Scott on the German version of The Office. Oh, really? But also, he's just a comedic genius overall. Christoph Maria funny, Herbst. Funny guy? Very funny guy. Very, very funny guy. And he's very funny on Last One Laughing, season three, the German version. And then finally, after seeing and preparing for this podcast, for watching Diana the Musical, I saw the penultimate episode ever of Barry. And it sets up the season finale very, very nicely. Some loose ends and all the characters coming back together. It's great. Uh, sadly, Bill Hader isn't doing the Watch Long podcast anymore because he's on strike. Because the strike is still going on somehow. Yep. But somehow, well, next week, next week, we'll probably have that Barry finale and I'll have a lot to say about it. For now, let's just leave it set up and let's go over slowly, slowly to our feature presentation. De delicately the way this movie deserves. Sure. Um, Diana the Musical man. is a 2021 Netflix release. Am I, am I getting this correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I okay. think it was 2020. It was I think it was literally 2020. on 2020. Okay. It yeah, was it was supposed... like like late pandemic. Okay. It was supposed to premiere on Broadway during the 2020 season. But, yeah. you know, that pesky pandemic happened. and Pesky pandemics, man. And it sort of screwed with the Broadway schedule and with all the shows that were supposed to premiere. And out of all the shows that didn't manage to get done 
<laughs> Diana the Musical was the one to get a, I guess, a professional cast recording or original cast recording. Well, that's what you call albums. What, what, a, like a like a stage recording, yeah. Sure. Like they saw Hamilton. Maybe this came out a little bit after Hamilton, and uh, or maybe like a year, six months after Hamilton or something. Because I remember Hamilton being really early pandemic, like. Mar like April or June 2020, something like that. And then uh, this came out or like right on time for the 2021 Razzies or the 2022 Razzies. I don't remember which one. Oh, wow. Because it, it, won, it won a bunch of awards at one of those. Let me check. Because I think it, it won Worst Picture at the Razzies, this thing. And it won Worst Director and it won is Worst it, Actress and Worst Supporting Actress. It won is a it a 2020 of- release? Because... It- it wouldn't have had that much competition at the 2020 Razzie, Razzies, which... No, not at was, all. Yeah. It's kind of mean-spirited if that's how they decided to proceed, I'm just saying. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, we, we should probably just get into what this is. I mean, this, I mean, I, I have to preface our thoughts on Diana the Musical by saying both me and Max wanted an excuse to talk to watch and talk about this movie. And we've wanted it for the past month and a half. Ever since I yeah. had an idea, the idea, ever since we thought of the concept for the show, we're like, okay, we're going to end up talking about The Room. That's one movie we're going to end up inevitably talking about. We're going to will it into existence. But another one is that we want an excuse to talk about Diana the Musical and watch it. Because I had not watched this. I had heard legends on the internet of how unhingedly bad this was like cats level nightmarish laugh out loud at whatever the hell you're watching sort of thing and I nightmarish this. who said that who said nightmarish oh, i'm curious i don't remember who said it but but someone told me like it's cats level bizarre and upsetting and okay. uh on that level they were right i watched this entire thing and i was like oh my god <laughs> this is this is insane <laughs> who who did this who allowed this to happen? What what's going on here? Who what happened here, man? Thirty minutes in, I wrote down in my notes, I've had enough. And it was similar to Batman and Robin last week, where about forty <laughs> minutes, I and I said, "Oh, I've had enough. I, I think I've seen everything that this <laughs> is gonna give me. The rest of the time that I'm gonna spend this, I'm gonna feel like it's a waste." But no, you know, I, I watched. We I watched this whole thing just for with you, my listener. jaw. I, no, here's the thing. I watched this whole thing with my jaw on the floor. Like I was, I was so, <laughs> I was so like taken aback by this entire thing. This is to me okay. So we, I think we got to get into what this is. So this is a musical that came out in 2021 on Broadway, which is a terrible time to come out on Broadway in general. Right, twenty the entirety of twenty twenty one. I'm thinking. I'm uh, thinking it was gonna be on the twenty twenty Broadway season, got canceled for obvious I'm, reasons. I'm looking at this, and then got a professional. I'm, I'm looking at it. So, um, so on twenty nineteen, it was at La Jolla Playhouse, which is, I guess, on off Broadway. Not sure. Probably off Broadway, maybe. And it was, and it started its Broadway run on twenty twenty one. So. This was filmed in the summer of 2020, 
with COVID-19 safety protocols in place and no audience. So this is a live performance of the show. Yes. Diana the Musical with no audience. Uh, so it's real weird. <laughs> so it feels real weird. Um, and it was released in October 2021. The recording was universally panned by critics and won five of its nine nominations at the 42nd Golden Raspberry Awards, including Worst Picture, the first film stage performance with a distinction. So these people saw Hamilton, and they were like, no, we're going to try to make a Hamilton-ish thing with Diana the Musical. And you can really, like, I was watching this, and I was like, oh, this is trying to be the Hamilton recording so bad. You think so? So, so bad. Okay. Yeah, well, man. So one of the reasons that this didn't manage to click with me, and I think it'll be the same case with you because you're younger than me, at no point during my lifetime was Princess Diana ever the most famous person alive. But she was at some point to our parents. Yes, she was, 100%. Here's the thing. It did click with me. It clicked with me in terms of, like, I mean, I've watched The Crown religiously. I love The Crown. Really? Okay. I adore The Crown. One of my favorite. Like, I keep telling people, like, people keep asking me what's my favorite TV show. And I'm like, it's probably The Crown. And they're like, what? Really? It's very strange. Yeah, man, I, I love me some crown, dude. Uh, so And also, my mom was really, really into Princess Diana. So I was like, so I know a lot about Princess Diana just in general, and I've heard a lot about her throughout my life. And my mom was like, no, man, I was sad when she died. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy that you're sad when a person you don't know dies. And then one day, uh, David Bowie and Alan Rickman died. So I was like, oh, man, I kind of get it, I guess. Um, so I, so Princess Diana is a presence that is very much, I'm sorry for the redundance. She's a very present figure in my life, I guess, because of the stuff my parents tell me and because I watch the crown all the time. I rewatch the crown every so often. So I was Interesting. perfectly aware. I was perfectly aware of what Diana, Princess Diana Spencer, uh, the princess of Wales, the late princess of Wales, uh, I was aware of what her life was before I entered this musical. So I was like, well, this is going to be her life in a musical. And then the musical unfolds in a way that is strange, in a way that is so very strange and depicts Diana as like this shopaholic, boy-crazy floozy and portrays Charles and Camilla as like these, this like tortured, star-crossed lovers sort of thing. And I was like, okay. what is happening here? Okay, see, the way I read the play was yeah. about <laughs> yeah. uh, two people, Diana and Prince Charles, who is the current king of now, England. Now King Charles. Yes. The current queen of England, yes. <laughs> two people trapped in a loveless marriage. Yes. And they're just mitigating, mitigating circumstances that make their union worse and worse and more toxic by the day yes but they have their cake and they eat it too does that make sense because yeah there's, I understand. there's some I know what you're saying there's some horrors when it comes to being trapped in a loveless marriage and that particular yes. loveless marriage is very hard to get out of as you know is established multiple yeah. times during the story of diana the musical but then also, they sort of 
fight each other over their love of showboating. That is, I mean, yeah. so, you know, that's having your cake and eating it too. And the play does it a couple of times. Would you take us through the story briefly, less than five minutes oh. of what, oh, what Diana the Musical is trying to tell <laughs> the audience that so valiantly oh went on Netflix and seeked it out? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so in case you haven't watched Diana the Musical, which why would you? Unless you're me, if you have, then you're a real fan of 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 Razzie nominees, I guess. Or of Broadway. Um, so here's maybe thing. you're a big Broadway guy. Or or Broadway. Maybe you're a big Broadway person. You're like, well, they're not recording Phantom of the Opera for some reason, which they should have. They, they should have just recorded and have. every. And they have, man. They they, they have like they mo- have, like multiple but they, times. But, I know, but like they should, they should do it Hamilton style with like cranes and oh, shit, like, I see. with like actual, you know, you know what I mean. Okay. Like the reason the Hamilton recording is so successful is because it's very well recorded. It's very well recorded. So, okay, I'm gonna go through the plot of Diana the musical. So, uh, you know Princess Diana, right, Max? You know who she is? Barely, but yes, I've heard of her before. You. You barely know. So in case you don't know who Princess Diana is. So she was this woman in England. Uh, she was a, a member of royalty, so she deserves all your disdain. But she was also a nice person, so she deserves all of your empathy. Um, so she is Diana Spencer, and she's 19 years old. And the, the Prince of Wales, the heir to the, to the throne of England, the heir to the queen, and now he's the queen in real life. Um, Becomes interested in her to get married. However, he also has an affair on the side with a woman named Camilla Parker Bowles. And for some reason, she's the most sympathetic character in this play, even though she shouldn't be. Um, So, uh, despite their misgivings, and despite Charles's clear affections going to someone else, Diana and Charles enter this marriage, which is immediately a bad idea, if you know Charles or Diana's lives, right? Their marriage uh, starts to dissolve uh, because of Charles. Like, this this play makes tries to make the point that it fails because both parties are very much not interested in making this marriage actually work, instead trying to settle it with very temporary promises and whatnot. So they have kids together. However... Charles keeps seeing Camilla against Diana's wishes. Uh, Diana starts committing adultery as well. So they both commit adultery on either side. Their marriage starts falling apart. Uh, Paparazzi start hounding him. Um, the queen, the, that, the poor sweet old queen who ruled for 80 years or something. I don't know. Um, A lot of times. Is caught in the middle of this. She's, she's caught in the middle of this, and she's like, hey, can't you figure it out? Charles, your dad cheated on me, too. Come on, just, like, stay married, all right? <laughs> like, it's, it's a really weird scene. Um, and then, uh, troubles keep going. Uh, the queen is like, fine, you can get divorced. Just get the fuck out of my face, or whatever they say in the play. So they get divorced. Diana is like, I'm so happy, I'm going to start a new life. And then the play ends, because in real life, I don't know if you know this, uh, Princess Diana uh, died in a car crash caused by paparazzi and maybe the Queen of England. Um, She died in real life, and it was very tragic. Um, 
and the play has to abruptly end right when it gets like nice and like finally i'm free of this and then immediately she's dead uh which is i know that's how real life works but narrative shouldn't work that way which is a real weird ending to any given play um yeah that's the story of diana and that's the story of diana the musical i guess max but here's the thing i know what the story of diana the musical is so i was way more focused in how this movie looks like an erotica parody. Like, do you know what Emmanuel is? <laughs> do you know what Emmanuel is? I do not. What What are you talking about? So, Emmanuel is a character from a bunch of erotic films from the 70s and 80s. Uh, and there were, like, TV shows about her that came out on, like, HBO After Dark and stuff like that. But it was, like, Emmanuel in space or whatever. And it's, like, aliens want to know how sex works. And they... <laughs> And they use Emmanuel as like a tool to learn how humans love or whatever. It's it's one of those things. It's like one of those like European uh, free love. Like it's it's a red light district in Amsterdam sort of movie um, or series of movies and TV shows or whatever. And this okay. felt. I mean, I used this line last week. This this looks like a porn parody of a real musical. It looks so unnerving to me. And the production design is so shaky, and the costumes are all weird, and the makeup is all weird. And I mean, you know who's playing who, but like nobody looks the way the real people in real life looked. Nobody. The actress who plays Camilla could not look more different from Camilla. The actress who plays the queen, they don't even put a white wig on her head. What are they doing, man? What are they doing with their lives, bro? It's insane. Well, it's so it's, crazy. Is, is it not a gray wig, sort of salt and pepper with a little white sprinkle? No, it's it's like very brown. It's very dark brown, maybe like two or three streaks of gray, but it's a very rich, saturated brown. And I was like, you're not kidding any of us, man. You're obviously very pro-queen, anti-Diana, Mr. Book Writer slash Screenwriter slash Director of this recorded special. Oh, Jesus it's, Christ. This is so weird. It's such a weird way to tell Diana's story. Because, like I was saying before, this it's very clearly like, no, Diana is this, like, shopaholic floozy who, like, wears pretty dresses to get Charles's attention. And, like, they make a whole musical number out of it where she's like, I'm a pretty, pretty girl in a pretty, pretty dress. And I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's very strange. And well, uh, and Camilla is represented as like an innocent like, oh, I'm caught in this situation because I love this monster of a man. And you're like, oh, no, this sucks. Well, in, in, in the number where she sings about the pretty dresses that she wears, she sort of also offhandedly mentions that she's using the media attention that she naturally gets to support causes that she really likes yeah and then also but also wait 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 then all at some point as well where did i write this okay uh um okay yes the first musical number that the paparazzis have they have a line they sing a line that goes if you disagree with it we dare you to look away right and that's sort of you know, that's the thing with the monarchy then. It's the thing with reality TV now. Um, yeah. If, if, if you're so against it, then stop watching it. 
or just admit that you're a yeah, little sure. voyeuristic and more gossipy than you would like to admit to. Regardless. <laughs> yeah. No, the the movies, well, yeah, the play sort of plays both sides where they kind of want to give you an honest retelling, but also really, really, yeah, really loves, loves to go to Drama City and the tensions oh, yes, between... Yeah. The princess and the prince and the mistress and the queen and the British public. You see, it's you, you also see what I'm getting Broadway, at. so that's that's just the nature of Broadway musical theater, I guess. Uh, here's the thing, Max. We have a structure to this show, so we have to mention okay. things that we thought were good. Uh, and I have a couple of notes here. They're not serious because I because this movie I did not take seriously, and that's why I enjoyed my time watching it. Um, the first thing is. You gotta admire the filmmakers and the the team behind Diana the Musical and their commitment to bringing artistry to people's homes in the middle of a pandemic. You really gotta admire it. You really gotta give them a big old pat on the back for doing that. Um, I mean, thank you, team behind Diana the Musical, for bringing this to people's homes. I hope you're enjoying your Razzie, your multiple Razzies. And even better, I hope you're enjoying your residuals that Netflix maybe doesn't pay you. Yeah, I guess so. Who knows? Uh, we don't really thing know, that do I we? Thought, I mean, we don't really know. We don't know anything about Netflix. It, it It's more shadowy than most actual government conspiracies. Um, okay, so here's the thing. Another thing that I enjoyed about this movie is that there's a lot of movies that really like to skirt the line of so bad it's good. They really like to dance on that line, and they never really step over it. And this movie, this musical and subsequent movie did. This move, this, I, I just enjoy the idea that everyone behind this took this so seriously, and it looks and feels so crappy, so unironically crappy. And it's also, I mean, that there are some lyrics that are, Straight up chaotic, man. Like, it's... These are TikTok clips. Like, this entire musical is TikTok clips. It look Here's the thing. This musical would be genius if it was satire. Like, this... It looks and it feels and it sounds and it plays out in the way that a fictional musical would play out, like, in the background of a comedy movie. Like, a Will Ferrell movie is playing and in the background there is a TV... And they're like, what are you watching? You're like, oh, we're watching a stage recording of a musical about Diana. And everyone's like, oh, okay. cool. And we'd, we'd make a joke about it. Like, that's who would make a Broadway musical about Princess Diana 20-something like, years after her death? It's insane. Kind of like Springtime for Hitler and the producers or it's, Rogers, it's exactly, it Rogers is, the Musical. It is Springtime for Hitler in real life. And it's <laughs> hilarious from start to finish. It is, it, it, that's exactly what, I, I saw a review, I saw multiple reviews that were like, this is springtime for Hitler in real really? life. And I was like, wow. I saw multiple of them. Because I, I was reading the reviews, I was like, I want to see, because this is, this is one of those movies that's so bad, that there's a lot of like critical gamesmanship and a lot of like, I'm going to have fun with my thesaurus in terms of describing how bad this movie is. And people really, really sank their teeth into like, no, this is springtime for Hitler if it was not trying to be funny. It's just funny for no reason, 
and that's that's what I think took it to the next level for me. This is a so bad it's good movie, at least for me. It's it's a it's a fun movie to put on while you're tipsy, I guess, and and have a bunch of theater kids laughing at it. An inter- interesting through line that we've created here with Fast X and Diana the Musical. In terms of my yeah. notes, um, well, I, I have an observation, but that's for later. Um, yeah, two observations, multiple observations. Again, going to the paparazzi number, the first number that they have, they yes. <laughs> they, they describe the feeling of consuming gossip with the following yes. lyric. It's better than a Guinness, better than a wank. <laughs> that 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 did have me laughing. I I have to be very <laughs> honest. Yeah. Oh, I laughed at so many points during this. I have I have a list of lyrics that make me laugh. Um but in terms of good stuff, oh, I do have some a serious thing. So when it comes to like a live performance and you're aware that this is supposed to have an audience, it's hard to connect with the performance because you're not being part of the audience. Like Hamilton has the audience and there's the clapping and there's the laughing at the funny bits. And even if you're looking at like stand-up performances on like Netflix or YouTube, the audience is a big part of it. So whenever they did jokes, they fell a little flat and I was like, uh, whatever. Um, But there's a couple of moments where there's this character uh, played by the same actress that plays the queen. She plays this character that is uh, Diana's step-grandmother or something. She's a famous author of romantic novels. Called Barbara Cartland. Yeah, and that character provides one or two moments of actual on-purpose levity that is immediately outmatched by everything else in the movie and the musical. But, I mean, I appreciated that they were at least like... Because apparently that actress is like Broadway royalty and like a Tony and Emmy award-winning actress. And you can tell she's she's good at singing, she's good at acting with this crap that they've given her. Like you can tell she's been around, and like she knows what to do with this material, even if even if it's this shitty. Uh, but if someone tells you, "Hey, you want to play the Queen of England in a musical?" You're like, "Of course, I'm gonna do it." Yeah, even if it's even if it scars my reputation for life because it bought me a Razzie, because she won a Razzie for worst really worst supporting actress. Um, yeah, she did. Damn. So the actress that plays Diana won Worst Actress. Uh, the actor who plays Charles was nominated for Worst Actor, but was beat by LeBron in the Space Jam sequel. Okay. And it also um, and it won Worst Director, Worst Picture, Worst Ripoff, I guess. Worst Remake, Ripoff, or Sequel, I guess, because it's a ripoff of Diana Spencer's life. Uh-huh. Uh, let me see what else it won. Um it uh won worst screenplay that's another thing that it won yeah so yeah uh but besides that i don't have much of much good to say about this i just have a bunch of stuff that i laughed at and uh i really want to get into it do you have anything else to say um well there was a lot of yelling at the screen at some points because because of the behavior (laughs) of the two main characters right and yeah, that that's sort of ignoring the fact that these two were well, are real people that actually went through the events 
a version yes. of the events, a more realistic version of the events that happened. Um, yeah. I will say, here's the thing. That's the same thing that I had in common with The Crown. Like, The Crown portrays Diana as very empathetic and a, and a very sympathetic character. But it does portray Charles and Diana's relationship as very childish and, like, constantly trying to mess with each other's lives. But, like, it's well written. <laughs> and here it's like, no. These two people both suck. <laughs> very strange. I'm looking through my notes right now, and there's a couple of observations, and then mostly bad stuff. I have to be very honest here. A couple yeah. of those are just where I recognize, oh, that's the current king. Oh, she's the queen now, infamous uh, Camilla. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. Right. The queen consort, I mean, her, her majesty, the queen Camilla, and uh, her majesty, the queen Charles, I guess. Her you're gonna stick with that bit, aren't you? Yeah, I, I love it. I, I mean, I'm a I'm a loyal follower of Saint Hoax on Instagram, and the moment they said, uh, "Oh, this is Charles' first week as queen," I was like, "Oh, I'm sticking with Queen Charles the rest of my life." The rest of your life, I mean, probably yeah. Isn't well for the rest of his life, at least for the rest of his life. There, there will be another head of the British monarchy in our lifetime. I'm, I'm quite certain. Yeah, I, I feel quite certain. I mean, unless uh, England drowns in iceberg water, the way every coastal town is going to in the next 10 years. Um, oh, so uh, unless that happens, we're going we're gonna to have a, another British head of state uh, in our lifetime. And it's going to be uh, King William and his weird jawline, his weird, weird jawline. Um, so I have, I have a, a bunch of serious notes. Well, these are a bunch of serious. Notes would you, would you like have. to read out your lyric collection before we let, let's laugh oh a my bit God, before we get to the course. really serious stuff? These are lyrics that are now seared into my brain. So the first one, which was real early in the movie, is the fact that the first number is called "Underestimated," and I feel like even the play makes this point, which is that no one underestimated Diana. <laughs> Diana is not an underestimated person. Everyone was like, she'd be great as your princess and queen and stuff like that. And the, the movie proves it. So you disproved your opening number, literally. So that's the first thing that drove me insane. Okay. The second thing is that there's a bunch of really weird rhyming stuff. There's an, a number close to the beginning that tried to rhyme the words telethon and Elton John. Which are not that is, things that really rhyme. That is a perfect rhyme, actually. L l let me let me tell you that right now. That is perfect. <laughs> that is actually really good. Maybe that that is that is maybe it is multiple syllables, man. That is multiple syllables. The fact that it made you cringe a little doesn't take away from the fact that it is a perfect <laughs> multi-syllable rhyme. It's it's still insane. Still insane. It's uh, insane, but a perfect rhyme. It's insane, but a perfect rhyme. Uh, then there's a scene. Um, uh, Charles says, I'm here now holding our son, and I got to say, jolly well done. <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. That made me laugh as well. It's throughout the play. That was, that was very funny to me. Throughout the, the play, there are like some, I guess, like 40s sort of expressions where Charles refers to the queen as, as mummy. A lot, a lot of times, this jolly yes. well done line that you just yeah. brought up. There's a couple more. Jolly well done. It's 
it's insanely British. It's a very, it's a, it's like, hey, you but get these characters British. are British, full right? British, because no. Oh, I'm holding off, son. Jolly well done. <laughs> hip hip. Uh, the next one is, oh, Harry, my ginger-haired son, you'll always be second to none. <laughs> I mean, that was great. That was, that was really great. Um, there's another one. It's unfortunate that we live in a world where <laughs> having red hair is as stigmatized as it is. And that's why that line is really funny. But Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> but it's please, the fact that like, clearly you could tell you could tell that someone was like, Man, I really need to fill like syllables in. It's like, oh, ginger haired son. <laughs> of course. Instead of saying just saying, Oh my lovely son, oh my beautiful son, no. Ginger haired son, we need to fill this space with something. Um then there's the line I could use a prince to save me from my prince, and I and I laughed very hard. Um, oh, that, that's that's supposed to be cheeky. There's an entire. Yeah, so it makes, there's an entire makes the number. audience supposed to go, ooh, yes, so you know what I mean? Um, there is another line. Uh, there's a there's a whole number where the chorus is "Te amo, te quiero." I'll say it every way I'll know, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> um. There's a line that goes, uh, this is what I get for marrying a Scorpio. Oh, yeah, I wrote that down uh, as well. I wrote that down as well. That was, yeah, that that was to appeal to Gen Z. That that was, yeah, that's there to appeal to the younger audiences of Broadway. Perhaps. Oh, yes. Word of mouth would catch on and the young people would flock to the musical to hear the line about the Scorpio. Oh, well done. <laughs> okay. Um, and then Sorry. what is probably my favorite line in this whole thing. So there is the whole number where they introduce James Hewitt, which is one of Diana's many uh, male companions, but it's the one that the play chose to focus on. So the character rides in on a horse, and by horse I mean just a saddle on top of a cube. Oh, um, you, ca- you can't get a real horse during the pandemic. Good sir, you 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 can't get a real horse. Come on, but not doing uh, but not doing so a pandemic. You're gonna get the horse sick. What are you talking about? No, we can't get the horse <laughs> in here. It's not proper. It's not protocol. And um, it may fall so, under animal cruelty as well. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's it's animal cruelty to put any animal in Diana the musical. Um. So James Hewitt comes in riding on his not a horse, and he comes in shirtless like an erotica character, and he says the line, "You don't need no messy divorce. All you need is a man on a horse." <laughs> and that's that's my favorite line from this whole thing. Marvelous. It's the best thing. It's I can't believe, I can't believe someone saw that and was like, "Oh man, this is great." <laughs> uh oh my god. That that number particularly to me shows the split value system of the show quite clearly, but that is a very <laughs> show, yeah drama drama it's filled drama town kind of number, and it contrasts quite harshly yeah. with these real moments where Diana is singing about how lonely and abandoned and down on her luck she feels and those those contrasts but then again such is life so you know what i mean you you got to show someone 
being yeah, uh, a a nuanced Some, person. Yeah, and sometimes a nuanced person is a man on a horse that'll save you from a messy divorce. Um, uh, yeah, it's a very pro-adultery musical. It's it's a very pro-adultery show. Uh, another lyric. Uh, so there's a scene where Diana goes to visit a bunch of AIDS patients at a clinic. Oh. Um, this is during the 90s where no one knew what AIDS was. There, there's the scene where like Diana's like, hey, do you want to take a picture? And an AIDS patient says, hey, I may be unwell, but I'm handsome as hell. And then they take the picture. And it's very funny. Um, there's another line. And he's not in the picture. The back of his head is. The back of his head is in the picture. So it's, he's got a very handsome back of his head. Um, it's, it's good that you're aware of what your good angles are, I guess. Um, very important. Very important. Oh, it's so important when you're out and about in the Commonwealth that you know what your good angles are to pose for the cameras and the paparazzos. Um, uh, another line, it says, I envy the poor. Their parties can't possibly be such a bloody bore. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> it's pretty great. Uh, I mean, the poor do have pretty cool parties. I will say, <laughs> the, the common folk in England have some pretty fun parties, don't they? Um, very much there's a so. bunch of lines <laughs> there's a bunch of lines in this where it's like clearly they were having a hard time rhyming anything with the name Camilla so they got them all out of the way in a couple of numbers so there's one that says oh it's the thriller in Manila with Diana and Camilla and I was like oh my god respect <laughs> that's great respect <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing and then there's another scene where they rhyme the name Camilla with Godzilla, and you're like, those two names That's should not true. be in, in a Broadway musical. They rhymed Camilla with Godzilla, and then I was like, "That's crazy." Um, uh, the entire dress number was very funny to me. The fact that this butler becomes very flamboyant out of nowhere, and it's like uh, very energized in a way that the character wasn't previously in the movie and i was like oh my god that's great um the whole number where elizabeth is like no uh my husband cheated on me and we still love each other so like if even if you cheat on your wife you have to stay married right like that whole number was really weird but they had but that entire number which is supposed to be like a power ballad for for queen elizabeth the late queen elizabeth um is very strange, and she's like, I miss the old days where we could just chop your head off and we done with it. And you're like, that's a weird-ass sh shit to say with witnesses in the room to your daughter-in-law. That's a really weird line. That's, that, and then, Given the real-life context is a very weird line, if this were purely fictional, that would be a joke. That would be really funny. But given the yes. conspiracy theories around this entire yeah. situation... Yeah. Yes. And then the, the final lyric that I have here is also the final line in the play, which is a very dumb line. It says, the people who will change the world are not the ones you think will change the world, which is very clearly trying to rip off from the ending of Hamilton. And like... Uh, the who whole... lives, who dies, who tells your story. Yes, exactly. That's that. They're trying to rip off that entire number at the ending. But that line is really bad. <laughs> 
You know, the more you bring up this musical and details about it, I see the similarities to Hamilton more and more and more and more. Perhaps they, you know, I'm trying, not trying to be cynical here, but a hot pop rap musical about a historical figure was really successful. Perhaps you can have something at the start of the 2020 season quite similar maybe you'll be about as successful. Yeah. Obviously, we know how it turned out at the end, but the similarities are striking now that you've pointed them out. Yeah, they're really trying to be Hamilton because they're like, well, the story of Alexander Hamilton ended in tragedy and the, the musical ends with him dying at the hands of Aaron Burr. However, here's the thing. Uh, and this is a real complaint that I have, like a real thing, like a real gripe that I have about Diana the Musical, the play. I, I also have multiple complaints, um, so so we can get into that, like proper, <laughs> have, proper complaints. I have multiple complaints. <laughs> so uh, the first one is that it looks like it was put together in a week, and I checked, and it took several years to get going. And I'm like, this this does not look like years of effort. This does not look like a lot of thought was put into it. It, the stage design feels very haphazard. And uh, when it comes to the stage recording, when it comes to actually looking at the stage and all that stuff, you ignore the fact, or they, these filmmakers seem to ignore the fact, that the camera can capture a lot more than the human eye can in a dark theater. So all the entrances and exits are very visible. And they're very distracting. And also, uh, the different characterizations for the actors who play multiple characters are not different enough. So you're clearly looking at a character and you're like, well, this is the same actress, but in a different wig, which is not something that happens in Hamilton. You're like, oh, their entire, like there's characters or actors that play multiple characters in Hamilton too. They, there's, there's people that play two characters. There's a guy that plays Thomas Jefferson and Marquis de Lafayette. David Diggs, but like their entire posture changes, their voice changes, their entire performance changes because they're playing two different characters. This does not do that at all. The actress that plays uh, Barbara Cartland and the Queen does not change Barbara her demeanor for either character. <laughs> I don't think that's her name. Sorry, it's I think it's Barbara Cartland. I, I don't think that's her name. <laughs> you just I don't know what her name Cartland, is. Cartland, Barbara Cartman. Cart She's not. She's not on I, South Park. I didn't she's, call her she's in Diana the Musical. I called her Cartland. I called her Cartland. Cartland. I didn't call her Cartman. I'm gonna call her Cartman for the rest of this video, though. Um, which which yeah, video? Man, like the whole, like I mean, it, it is very haphazard and very flimsy and very like cheap looking. But also, there's ways you could have done in, or there's things you could have done in the filmmaking and the actual recording to hide a lot of the theater stuff that would take us out of the narrative, and they did not do that at all. Let, let me do a lukewarm defense of that for a second and give you an analogy. <laughs> okay. Give you an analogy, sure. okay? Have you seen any of Gerard Carmichael's comedy specials? Yes, I have. I saw the latest one. I saw Rothanian. Okay, there you go. That comedy special is shot very differently to most comedy specials. Do we agree on that? Yes, it is. It is shot beautifully like a film. Do we agree on that? Yes. Most comedy specials are not shot like films. Do we agree on that? Yeah. 
what's happened for me is that <laughs> Gerard's specials, because Rothaniel isn't the only one that looks this way and has a very defined visual style, Gerard's specials have sort of fucked up the curve in which I judge how comedy specials present themselves. Because most comedy specials don't present themselves in that way. And I think maybe Hamilton might have fucked up the curb for musical recordings. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> I get, yeah. Do you see what yeah, I'm I, saying? Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. It's, it's too well done for everyone else to do the same, to do as well, I guess. To, to be at the exact same standard, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a huge standard to. I mean, the Hamilton Hamilton as a musical is a very high standard to put any modern musical to, but the exactly. Hamilton recording is also a very high standard to put any Broadway recording. But the way they made this one is just just makes it more blatant. It just makes it just makes stuff more visible. Like there's there was a shot that I laughed at my screen at. So they're doing a transition between one number and another. So there's a scene. We're like there. We're like um, Diana is on a hospital bed because she harmed herself, and Charles is sitting on that same bed, like visiting her. And they just did this whole like, no, we're gonna try and make this marriage work or whatever. And they're smiling. Another character comes into the foreground to sing their number. I think it's the, I think it's Camilla comes in to sing her number, and the spotlight goes off of Diana and Charles and goes onto Camilla. And but and even while Camilla is singing, you can see in the background the bed that Diana and Charles are on sinking into the floor of the stage. And I and the way it looked was so sudden and so weird. And I and I okay. really laughed. But it's like you can that's yeah figure out angles so you don't see that kind of stuff. That's more noticeable because you're zoomed in with a camera and not sitting at the back of the theater. Exactly. I, I exactly, see your that's point. what I'm saying. I see your point. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so that's the point that I was making. The filmmaking makes the stage and the flimsiness of the entire production extra blatant in a way that it wouldn't be if you were just seeing this on a Broadway theater. If you were seeing this on a Broadway theater, you'd be like, I mean, the music's kind of weird and the story is bad. This is a bad musical. But you wouldn't be <laughs> noticing how it's like, you wouldn't be noticing the little stitches at the seams the way you are in this recorded special. Because those stitches are present for basically most musicals. Yeah. Again, every single if, musical. If you're, has if you're judging everything on the Hamilton scale, then you're kind of fucked. Because Again. Most musicals don't do blocking and staging the way Hamilton does. They just don't. They just don't. Not at all. It's genius the way they stage Hamilton, really. Uh, a, a legitimate gripe that I have with this show is <laughs> the way the age gap between Diana and Charles is just completely ignored. They look similarly aged in the yeah. play. And when they got married, Diana was basically yeah. still a child. And Charles was 31? Yeah, something like that. So that, like that is a key aspect. 19 and 29, 30-ish, yeah. A very, very important aspect and a point to consider as to why their relationship didn't manage to work. It's yeah. food for thought. That's all I'm saying. Food for thought. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a, that's the thing that was weird. Yeah, I mean they do like throwaways, like Camilla calling her a child or whatever. Like they do a couple of those, but they don't really address it. Like they don't have a number like in Tick Tick Boom where they're just like going to therapy. You know what I mean? <laughs> they don't have one of those where they're like, I hate her for this reason. I hate him for this reason. They're just like, we hate each other, and we're gonna try to out like dress fight each other. <laughs> we're gonna try to out public each other so there's a song called she moves in the most modern ways and it's sung by other yeah. characters about diana sometimes in a good context sometimes in a bad context but you could basically sum up the song yeah. with the the phrase wait hold on a second she's not out of touch like i am i don't like her for it <laughs> which which is yeah bizarre and odd and a, a very boomer thing to think and say yeah i mean that feeds into what i was saying earlier about how this is a very like royalist musical like like you can tell that this was written by americans <laughs> and like they're they have a very enchanted like a lot of people do like even I do a little bit. Like, I do have a, lo a little bit of contempt for the monarchy. A little bit. Uh, but it's also, like, you can't ignore that even though it's ridiculous, it is inherently a part of English identity. The fact that they still have this king or queen and they have all this ceremony around him or her or them or whatever. Um, so whoever wrote this is like very enchanted with the whole idea of royalty and the musical really plays into like this idea of like and this is something charles says a lot of times it's like no they like us because we're more than them because we're symbols and diana is like no they like me because i'm a person but because the way that this plays out at least to be is diana is a fucking weirdo and charles and camilla despite also being fucking weirdos are deeply maddeningly in love so you're supposed to root for them <laughs> legitimizes a little bit charles's point and also the presence of the queen is like no you have to do this for the good of your country or whatever also kind of legitimizes that point which is a very weird thing to see in the late 2020s where when everyone is like especially in late 2021 like post-pandemic where everyone's like i hate everyone who has more money than me because i can <laughs> barely afford to pay my rent just very weird. Just very strange indeed. Uh, yeah, this this musical, that's one of my notes. It seems to be very cruel towards Diana. It's very infantilizing. It is very, like, patronizing towards the character of Diana. Like I was saying, I don't know why Camilla is the most sympathetic character out of this entire thing. Like, she's... Like, you can see the the... The actor being like, no, what I'm going for is this person is a tortured human because she's stuck in this horrible situation that she can't escape because she loves this fucking childlike weirdo called Queen Charles or the future Queen Charles. I have to say, I'm very proud of the fact that I never rooted for any of the characters during this. <laughs> I mean... What the musical wants you to do and what you actively engage in are two very different things. Or they can be the same thing, but they, sometimes they are two different things. And that was the case for this one. I hated everyone in this. And I was very entertained by their various wacky hijinks. 
do you have any more like specific points that you like to talk to? Because I have a couple yeah. of, this is the most random notes that I've ever wrote down for anything that we've done here. <laughs> so do, do you want to okay. do some serious so, stuff before we go over to the random shit? Yeah. So serious stuff. Uh, this is tonally insane. Like this thing is to like, we've already talked about how weird some of the lines are, how crazy and chaotic some of the lines are. The music is legitimately very bad and very generic and very strange. Uh, okay. But they're trying to show this very somber, stern story of a, like, love that never really was and this marriage that's dissolving in this very Broadway show tune sort of way. And it does not mesh at all. Well, and that I, I can, really I can bring forward how bizarre and... Uh, I can bring forward one of the random notes that I wrote down, and that is show tunes, songs from musicals, Broadway anthems that, you know, reach yes. into the mainstream and become actual hits are the exception. Yes. The norm is the sort of show tune tone that is not really, that is kind of pop, but also too vintage to be appealing by modern standards. So it's yeah, it's rare. It's Broadway rock. No, you're, you're, that's what it is. You're it's defying gravity. West Side Story. Your, uh, uh, what, what, what's the one from Rent called? Seasons of Love? Is that what it's called? Love. Yeah, that's what it's called. Okay. So you're defying gravities. Your Seasons of Love. Your uh, another Broadway hit. America from West Side Story. Your um, there you go. Your America. Those those are the exceptions to the rule of that. In general, Broadway songs don't really work as pop songs on their own. They don't. They really don't. And and they they the music in this is like I mean it's normal Broadway music, and that's not the problem. The problem is that they're applying normal Broadway tones and stylings to like this really weird like it's supposed to be like a sad story of like this is a woman who's being uh, tortured, who lives in like this slowly crumbling apart marriage and in this situation that is very torturing. And they're still like, I am in a horrible marriage and my husband doesn't love me. And they're, they're doing that the whole movie. And, and it's, it really makes it the experience more upsetting with, with like the cognitive dissonance of it all. It's very I, strange I, to me. I agree about the fact that a hot pop musical about being stuck in a loveless marriage that you can't get out of is odd and at times upsetting <laughs> odd, to yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so that's a tone thing that I thought was insane. Um, here's the thing. The pacing is also crazy. The pacing is so weird. And that's, there's way that's too musicals, many musical though. numbers in this. That's way, musicals, though. That's, way too that, many. Way too many. And they jump from one to the next like this, like, immediately. Like, and, and it never feels cohesive. It never feels like they're being part of the same story, really. Like, it jumps from one tone to the other like this immediately. Like, one number ends. And partly it's because they don't have an audience. But they don't give us, like, the normal break that we expect between number and number between action and action in a play or in a stage musical or whatever. And it's very jarring and it feels very breakneck. And it's also like in story, it's very breakneck because you're starting at the very beginning of this relationship 
and you're going all the way to the end. You're skipping a lot of stuff. You are exaggerating a lot of stuff, which is like whatever. You have creative license. But if you're making a stage musical that lasts, what, an hour and a half, two hours to three? Depends on the musical. Like, you have to know that you have to give your audience breathing space, and this musical never does that. This version of the musical, but I agree that it was a bit jarring when the Diana character gives birth to William and then five minutes later gives birth to Harry. That was a bit rushed, I'd suppose. Very, very rushed. Um, that's all the like the serious notes that I have. If you want to go into random shit, do you have any random Okay, shit? there you go. Yes, I've been waiting to bring this up. We're going to get distracted for a bit, so listeners strap in. So... Yes. In this play, we have a bunch of American singer-performers singing in a British accent. Which is interesting yes. because a lot of British singers, pop stars, members of a band that is successful, they don't sing yeah. with a British accent. They actively remove their accent when performing. I know that's it's been a thing for a while. Nowadays, Dua Lipa and Harry yes. Styles, they don't really show their accents when they're singing. But, I mean, Oasis, like Liam Gallagher didn't sing with a British accent. That's just an observation that I, that I had. I think even, yeah, the yeah. John uh, Lennon and Matt, Paul McCartney also got, got rid of their accents. Sorry, uh, who, who were you saying? Yeah. Matty Healy from the 1975 is very much a London dude or like what wherever he's from like his accent is very present uh, when he's when he's singing. Okay. That's the one Brit that's the one British dude that I can think about. It's like oh no, he very clearly marks his like teeth. Like there's a song where he's like forgotten and uh he eats like the last syllables of some words like okay. the way a lot of British people do. Like yeah, you you can tell he's British when you listen to him. Well, there's him and there's also Joel Talbot, who is the singer of the, I guess, post-punk alternative group Idols. He very much sings and yells on the songs in his local accent. So, yeah, I was going to do a thing about us counting the amount of musical slash Broadway songs that were actual crossover successes, but we... Did that already you know we said defying gravity maybe, seasons maybe of phantom love of the opera. america maybe, really maybe phantom of the opera yeah the phantom of the opera theme is very successful outside of the musical it's very memorable for sure it's very memorable very successful but and it's and it's very easy to separate from the musical okay because it is a very like like very energetic song, I guess. Like it's a it's a fun song. If you're a theater kid, you're putting that shit in your car all the time. <laughs> I see. Okay. Very well. Very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I I know I know theater people. I have theater people in my family, and they play they play show tunes all the time in their car. Yeah. Well, as we've established earlier, theater people are kind of crazy, and I used to be a theater person, <laughs> are... so I would know. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I have a really, I have a note here, which is that uh, the actor playing uh, now, then Prince Charles, now Queen Charles, um, there's some instances where he does some real wonky singing, and it's very distracting. I did not write down any instances. Everyone else is like, look, 
the music's bad, but they sing okay for like a Broadway show. Okay. Prince Charles, now Queen Charles, has one or two moments where he's like off key and not harmonizing with the other person he's singing with. And it's very strange. If that happened, I would have to look at it again. If it were during <laughs> a do it with you have to watch the Diana. whole thing again yes i have to watch the whole thing again right now if it were during a duet with diana i would right now. i can i could see that the, that being a choice but i frankly don't remember the specific in, instances that you are bringing I up i think there there's one instance it's a duet duet with camilla i think like i, I really think it's a duet with camilla and and he, and he's off key or not harmonizing in on a number, and I thought it was very odd. Okay, well, how many uh, times did what's you? What's your next note? Well, how many times did you yell at the screen? I had sort of this. I did this not. Little, I, this little chart of how many I times just I laughed. did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I yelled about uh, seventeen times at the screen because. You know, it's it's a thing that I bring up to people a lot who are in certain situations where uh, you're choosing to be miserable and there's a very, very easy way out and you're not taking it. So that's upsetting. So I yelled at the screen a bunch during this musical. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the James Hewitt song is the centerpiece of this split set of values that the musical is trying to represent, where the Dramaville hot gossip side meets the real humanity of the people, because of course you'd be attracted to James Hewitt. He's hot. You, you can say yeah. it. You can out and out say it. He's he's a, he hot. is a man on a horse. He is a hunk of A man spunk. on a horse and he's hot. He's really hot. And, but then there's this sort of voyeuristic, gossipy land, uh, you know, vibe about it where you're going like, ooh, there's, oh, and, and they're going to get it on, aren't they? This, I hate yeah, that oh feeling. I, I really, really hate that <laughs> feeling when it comes to people that I don't have any business knowing their business. <laughs> am, am I making myself clear? Yeah, I, I, I don't know so. if, I'm, if it's coming across the correct way. Yeah, 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 I get it. At least, look, at least when Alexander Hamilton cheats on his wife in Hamilton, like, it's, it's thematically and, and story-wise, you're like, you, you care about what's happening. You're okay. like, oh my god, yeah. this is going to ruin stuff with his wife, and his wife is never going to forgive him. Yeah, it's, it's not, like, it's not this ooh thing at all, actually. It is not. Even, they even, like, try to, like, when other characters do it, the audience doesn't do it. Other characters like Thomas Jefferson or whatever do it, and they're like, oh, my God, uh, Alexander Hamilton, he ruined his career or whatever, but it's supposed to be a very somber, like, mm -hmm. these people are celebrating the downfall of of this guy who just betrayed his wife in front of the entire country. Like, it's, like it's supposed to be somber. You're like, oh, man, that's rough, bro. And that's me running out of notes. Do you have anything else to say on Diana the Musical before we I'm... decide which movie to put on the poll for next week's episode? <laughs> so uh, here's the thing. It, I said uh, the first note that I have is no one looks right. <laughs> no one looks right. Um, not terrible singing. 
but just very badly directed singing, I guess, and like which is kind of included in the tonal inconsistency sort of thing. Um, okay. Uh, it's this is really counting on you knowing the story of Diana because they skip around some events, and they skip around they skip around a lot, and they they're very selective with what with what goes on. Like, Even though contra- it's counting on you to know the story of Diana, I'm still like, no, this is not what Diana did. Okay. Well, contrasting with that, the crown, then I would assume, is a very exhaustive adaptation of the life of the royal family, or is it not really? Oh, yes. It is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the crown, what's cool, what's cool about the crown to me is that they use the royal family as a platform for a bunch of other stories and particularly as the show goes on and more in the in the royal family keeps growing like by the time like now we just ended season five which was good it was not as great as the rest of the seasons but it was good like the thesis of the show starts to become more apparent which is less like this is a show about the queen and this is more about like this is a show about a person who, despite having a, a really massive and respectable strength of character, the entire glory of the British Empire fell apart during her watch. And her family... Like, like this is a person that was like this very stone-cold, stoic figure and a very important figure in in world life i guess for years but everything around her crumbled apart and it's a very interesting premise and that really goes into like how prince philip's life was and how he had to adjust to despite being a man in a very male-centric culture the fact that he was constantly outmatched by his wife is super fascinating and how he gets over that is it takes multiple seasons and it's a real arc. And by the time it ends, you're like, man, Philip is the best character in the show. Uh, Charles goes from a total psychopath in season four to a very high functioning psychopath in season five. Like they do, they have like actually, they treat these characters a little less like real people and more like interesting characters in a, in a dramatic narrative. Okay. And they have, a couple of episodes that are very anthological in tone. Like they have episodes that are not like necessarily about furthering the story of Queen Elizabeth or the crown or whatever. They have an episode about uh, how Philip is dealing with his age and with his religion and his relationship with his mom by having him interview uh, the three men who went on the Apollo 11 mission. And the, and his conversation with the people who went on the Apollo 11 mission gives him a crisis of faith. And makes him re reevaluate his entire relationship with his mom. It is a wonderful episode. It does nothing for like the larger narrative of like how does Queen Elizabeth represent the British character, I guess. But yeah, it's a very exhaustive, in-depth character study of multiple characters, not just the Queen. And on that note. <laughs> We finish in true bomb shelter fashion talking about something else when we're supposed to be talking else. about Diana the musical. What are we going to replace I, I think it with we're gonna on s- the poll? 
here's the thing. I think before we get into the poll, I think okay. we're not going to do the part where we're going to see like, hey, how would we fix this thing? Because I think this is perfect just the way it is. <laughs> it is a perfect document of a total train wreck. And it is something I'm definitely going to play for people like, hey, do you want to watch a ter- do you want to get high and watch a terrible movie? I don't do that. But if I ever do that, this is going to be my go to choice now because no people have seen cats or have heard of cats people have heard of the room no one has seen diana the musical and i'm so excited to show it to people yeah and if you're looking for a fix on all things royals and the gossip voyeuristic character of the reality show that is their existence then watch other stuff because there's plenty out there Don't rely on Diana the Musical for information. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't. Or, or the Crown, or just any any fiction or semi-fictional media. Um, here's Good the point. thing. What I think we should, I think this category should be like famously bad movies, like movies that are so horrendously off the deep end, and uh, we like this is the category where we would put our the room we would put cats we would put maybe a transformers movie we would put jack and jill we would put a whole bunch of stuff here that's like legendarily bad the thing about those the thing about those is they are known people know those films people know how bad those are so what i'm suggesting for the spot is the tom green comedy freddy got fingers Oh, that sounds amazing, and we should totally do that. You know what? At some points, I worry that this would become a little more unhinged than Batman and Robin last week. But I think I kept it together quite well, and you're brilliant as always. So thank you so much for this nice conversation that we had. Oh, thank you. Yeah, man. I mean, I I enjoyed the hell out of watching this movie. This is This is one of those movies that is so bad it's good. It's so bad it's entertaining. And just the line, that that whole, you don't need a messy divorce, all you need is a man on a horse, is, I'm going to get that tattooed somewhere. I'm going to get that as a tattoo, I think. Really? And, uh, yeah, that, that's my, that's that's all from me, bud. Uh, hey, Max, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at Masswer and on a letterbox at Masswer11. Uh I like films, sneakers, hair dye. Uh, 35 millimeter yeah. film is the new thing that I'm trying to get into. Hopefully, yeah. I'll put out some stuff in that direction very soon. Pat, where can people find you? Oh, uh, you can find me as Pat is an idiot on Instagram and Twitter. I am into long walks on the beach, honest conversations, um, and Diana the Musical, apparently. And that's your social media presence in a nutshell as well. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I guess. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll hear you next time. And you'll hear us next time for sure.